Welcome to the HR Lounge. Sit back and listen in as Diane and I interview HR professionals from all walks in life. We'll be exploring all things HR related. You know the ones, those deep and sometimes uncomfortable conversations that should take place, but unfortunately never really happen. Enjoy your time with us in the HR Lounge. Hello and welcome to the HR Lounge. Today's guest is Cheryl Samuels. She's Deputy Director of Workforce Transformation at NHS England. Good morning, Cheryl. Good morning, Jacqueline. Right, thank you and welcome to the HR Lounge. Diane and I are so excited to have you here with us to explore all of these questions. And before we go into the questions, let's just sort of like look at how we actually met. Um, Diane and I were interviewed by you um, in a panel for an HR project that we had submitted a proposal for and won. Um, you were a senior stakeholder and part of the working party whom we collaborated with on the project. So that's how we, you know, we, we got to know you. Diane, do yeah. you want to add anything to that? Um, just really reiterated what you said. Um, you know, we were really excited when we won that project. Really Absolutely. excited. And um, we were quite pleased when we first got to meet the stakeholders. And I saw, well, actually, it's what you said that made me uh, recognise that, yes, this is going to be a good piece of work. Because I could hear you challenge, you know, you were challenging or channeling the, all that you wanted to do or for the project to do was coming I could hear it in your voice and I was very excited by that and it was a first of its kind as well so you know we we all pioneered this project and it's it's grown wings and it's flown so you know that that's been sort of um, a big launch pad for all of us involved in that initiative so fabulous I mean that's exactly what we really wanted to to see and I knew from the outset that we had selected the right provider to be able to support us to actually get the independent research that we needed. So no, thank you to you both for being on board with us um, and recognising the value that this would bring um, to the NHS, the HR profession and society at large, because actually this is going to impact massively um, across the board. Fantastic, Mm, fantastic. Okay, so we've got some series of questions that we'd like to ask you, Cheryl. And if I kick off and just ask you the first one, could you tell us about your career journey and the pathway you took to get into the current role you hold today? Yeah, of course. Um, I think, well, I guess probably if I start off from where I started. So I started off as a civil servant um, working in job centres, actually. Um, and I spent an, um, quite a few years whilst I was studying for my degree, working in job centres, um, which gives you an appreciation for people from all different walks of life mm. and recognising that people have different circumstances. And the reason people walk into job centres are for all different reasons. Mm. Um, they are not all people who just don't want to work or can't work or Mm. there's actually a whole range of reasons why people um 
work there. So I think that you kind of gain really good customer service skills there. I think you really get an appreciation for diversity um, at its worst and at its best. Yeah. Um, because you deal with all sorts um, and people being frustrated by the inequalities that they kind of face um, in trying to find jobs. Um, so I was a job broker matching people to jobs and um, and I guess, and, and at times probably also issuing gyros and things like that for people that remember those. Gyro. Yeah, that takes me back. That takes you back. <laughs> And then um, by the time I'd finished my degree and I finished working there, I decided that I wanted to work in HR. So that was the area that I felt I wanted to work in. And I'd also specialised in terms of my degree um, and focused on modules and things that were around HR management and leadership. So I was really clear about what I wanted to do, unlike some of my peers and colleagues um, that I've met along the way. I was always really clear that's where I wanted to be. And then from there, I then secured my first role with the Ministry of Defence and worked for the Defence Housing Executive as a personnel officer, for people that remember those days. Personnel, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. Uh, worked there for um, a while. And during that time, I'd also um, decided that I wanted to study for my CIPD at that time so I was quite upfront um, about my intentions um, and aspirations and the director at the time supported that and I made that a condition of me accepting the role which they did agreed for me to do that. I then started at the Ministry of Defence, worked there, studied for my CIPD during that time. Um, it wasn't easy um, we can go into that a bit later on if people are interested, but um, certainly had some hurdles in actually trying to start doing that course in the end. Can I just um, interrupt you quickly and just say, were you working and doing the course at the same time? I was, I was. I did the same working thing. Working full time same. and actually going two nights a week in the evening. Yeah, I remember doing it. Doing my CIPD. Yep, yeah. Yep. yeah, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> Since that we, we we were all on that journey, <laughs> we've all done it. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah. And so um, then, during my time at the the Ministry of Defence, it wasn't an easy time, and um, definitely really challenging. Also, working with a line manager who clearly felt quite threatened by me, yeah. and um, did lots of things to undermine me, try and. Um, dent my confidence mm. and also putting barriers in the way to me being able to study for the CIPD mm. so I had quite a battle with them once I was in to actually yeah. be able to do it because she herself hadn't got any qualification she'd come in straight from school and I guess there was probably something about you know what on earth is you know this young girl's come in and wants to to sort of progress and study none of us have done it here why is it that she needs to the only people that have done this is senior management even though the director had supported it but anyway to cut a long story short I left there because it became quite difficult and I then secured a post working for the British Medical Association which is where um, I worked and um, for them and they are a trade union as you'll know and I worked with them for a, a number of years 
and gained a whole range of skills, expertise and knowledge. And from there then moved and thought to myself, well, actually I'm capable of doing more than this. Mm. And so that's when I applied for my first post in the NHS and mm. I um, started work as a HR manager at Croydon Hospital, which back then was called Mayday Hospital. I spent a couple of years there. Then I moved from there because I felt I could do more. So I went and took a head of employee relations post at what then was called the Primary Care Trusts, the mm. PCTs. Yeah. And worked there for just over a year, I think. And realized that I was capable of doing so much more I'd done an awful lot in the time I was there turned the team around and felt actually I could do so much more and at that point I then applied for a deputy director post and then from there secured my first deputy director of HR role mm. um, at East London Foundation Trust and then following that I then applied for a post that was a bit closer to home. So I moved to Kingston Hospital, where I spent about five years working mm -hmm. as a deputy director there. I left there and went to work in a mental health trust as a strategic HR project director, and then left to take up a role with the Royal Free and there I came to as an assistant director to actually implement the junior doctor contract so you probably remember a few years back we had the junior doctor disputes yeah and so it was quite a difficult time where we obviously had doctors out on strike for yeah, the first time I remember mm. yeah and we had the new contract and there was lots of angst and worry about the actual contract and what it was actually going to mean and essentially I was brought in to actually um, implement the contract and then following that I was then offered the opportunity to actually work in a system-wide role where I worked for North Central London via the Royal Free and led some system-wide cultural change programs. That went down really well and Following that, I was nominated uh, for Deputy Director of the Year in the NHS. Yeah. And in 2019, I won it. Brilliant. Well done. So, <laughs> um, so then I guess that kind of elevated my platform. People, more mm. people were aware of me. They knew about the work that I'd done um, and the work that I'd been doing across the system. I'd won a finalist award mm. for that work. And so following that, I was then sort of encouraged to consider looking at other opportunities. And at that point, that's when I came into NHS England and NHS Improvement. And I came there initially to actually lead some work around the portability or improving the portability of the workforce. Mm. And very quickly ended up becoming the national lead for health and wellbeing for the NHS and leading the strategic national projects and then from there we then had COVID <laughs> yeah. and then we focused on the psychological components mm. and I led quite a substantial part of that program of work around maintaining the psychological health and well-being of our staff across the country. Mm. I then applied for a permanent role as 
um, as a deputy director of workforce transformation, which is where I am today. Oh, so, yeah. What wow. a journey. That is an, <laughs> an incredible journey. And, and what I'm hearing from that is that you're quite driven. You, you know, you sound like you're quite driven and, you know, you want to continue to, to do better, do better, do better. And I'm assuming it's obviously not just for yourself, it's obviously for the people that you're working with to help yeah. and to improve. And that, that that's quite amazing. I think probably the, the, I think the thing for me, I think um, that is a continued characteristic is that I've always been one to assess my own gaps and mm. anybody that I mentor, I always encourage them to do the same. Mm -hmm. We can't actually sit back passively waiting for others to assess our gaps and to put yeah. us forward for things. Absolutely. We simply need to actually identify the gaps ourselves, look yeah. at how best to actually plug them and look for the people around you that can support, support. you to help you fill those Absolutely. gaps yeah. and then gain the experience where you need to and then when you feel ready to go for the next post then you should put yourself forward don't wait for other people to actually kind of put you forward so yeah I think that's always kind of been my motto really mm. yeah and a very good motto very absolutely good motto. absolutely so, so resonates with a lot of us sorry. actually some of the things that you've said it kind of highlights my own journey in the NHS and some of the key you know milestones and the things that you need to do for yourself to actually progress you know you can't wait for other people and and nobody's going to take your journey for you you have to do it yourself that's right mm. that's right yeah so you were talking before about working in a unionist environment um how do you feel that influenced your HR practices so I think being a trade unionist I think it's a really good experience to have because it gives you the experience on both sides of the fence mm. so I can say when I worked at the BMA often members would call through with various issues and, and problems and some of them seem quite simple and you almost can't really imagine why it would be so difficult to resolve some of these issues mm. and I felt that actually moving over to work on the management side of things that I would be able to actually address and sort out some of those things. Yeah. And I guess once you arrive there, you realize that actually it's the whole system and the way in which things work, the way in which things are done. And sometimes just not having the, you know, the sort of technology we had at the BMA, we did not have that in a trust. So actually mm. the ability to actually case track properly didn't really exist in the way that I was used to in both the job centre and and there. So I think mm. I think it gives you a level of empathy, it gives you a level of understanding about the organisations that you're working with. It gives mm. you an understanding of the impact of inaction or actions of others. Yeah. And how that impacts on mm people and how some groups are disaffected more than others mm. and so I think working for a trade union also gives you not only those skills but also the opportunity to just think about how you negotiate and um, how you behave in conciliatory ways mm. thinking about what is best the system and how different points of view can start to shape the solution that is best for all mm. and I guess it's just understanding those different perspectives 
mm. and the value that those different perspectives bring and I think that that's probably some of the the key skills it's not an exhaustive list but I'd say those probably are the key things that mm. it it gives you and just I guess the value of good communication. Um, Roger Klein, we, we interviewed him, who has been in the union for a long, long time. He was saying that there still seems to be a challenge between um, unions and HR. They don't seem to be working together. Do you see that? I think that it varies. I think that there are some NHS organisations that have really good examples of partnership working. Mm. And mm. we certainly do strive to have really good relationships with our trade union partners. But I think there's a balance to be struck mm. in that I mm. think that the trade union also need to do their bit and yeah. have a bit of a mixture yeah. of old school trade unionists that are probably a bit more adversarial in their approach. Yeah. As opposed to being... Um, more for partnership working and there are others who don't want to be seen as the trade union who don't want to be seen to be in bed with management yeah mm. and therefore mm. that there's a certain level of bravado and um mm. behaviors that go with that and equally i think that hr and some of our managers that form part of staff side equally sometimes don't quite know how to get the best out of the situation mm. but yeah. at times I'd say that there are some who've got really good relationships they've really delivered some joint partnership working initiatives you've only got to see the HPMA awards to see that actually some of the joint working programs that have been done together with trade unionists I don't think it's all bad I think no actually no it can't be that yeah no. it can't be that yeah yeah. yeah but there, there absolutely yeah. are pockets where those relationships are not as strong as they need to be but I think you need to have the trust and if yeah. the trust isn't mm. there yeah. then I think that it's that difficult. that is the almost your foundation if the foundation yeah. is not there then the rest of it is not going to be good yeah absolutely mm. true. yeah so I mean there's been challenges along the way what's been the most challenging time during your career and how did you overcome it gosh that's a big question um <laughs> I hope it wasn't loaded <laughs> too much <laughs> I think that certainly in my early career I think that the the challenge most definitely has been was more about me trying to actually study and do my CIPD in the first place and I think that that was my first introduction to recognizing bias in the workplace and also recognizing mm. that everybody doesn't necessarily want good for Thank you, you. Yeah, absolutely. And that not everybody is supportive and realising that people can put operational barriers in the way to prevent you from progressing and also recognising that there are so many bystanders that sat by and watched all of that went on Mm. and also recognising all the other people that felt paralysed and unable to help me. Um, and when you're actually trying to fight an organization it's quite difficult to do yeah it's yeah it is very difficult it you what you've just said resonates so much with Diane and I because I remember you know two evenings a week yeah missed out all the best programs yeah having to go to study but 
you know, the barriers within your working environment, um, my line manager used to purposefully give me something just before I was about to pack up and rush off to go to uni to study. Mm. And she did it every time. And I found ways of sort of like overcoming when I realized what she was doing, because it was impacting my development. Mm. You know, um, I wasn't being enhanced in the working environment. So what what you said totally resonates with me. And and I, I know it resonates with you as well, Diane. Indeed. I actually wanted you to talk about, um, do you remember when you, you said about working in the bank and you wanted to, to take a role? And was it your manager, Jacqueline, that said that, um, oh, you shouldn't go for it or something like that? Do you remember oh, that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> that takes me back. Yeah. Um, I've always been involved in developing people from the word go. It was like IT systems and soft skills, HR. And earlier on in my career, I managed a, for want of a better word, um, the STARS programme where you, you come and shine. And it was, it was a potential tutors course. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of like managing the administration. I saw all these people coming down, you know, from all over the country to, to actually audition for these roles. And I'm thinking to myself, I can do that because mm. I was supporting the secretarial staff, you know, lunch times. Went to my manager, sort of like knocked the door, came in and, and he said, oh, sit down. And he said, uh, you know, what, what can I do for you? And I said, well, you know, the programme that, you know, we're running the potential tutors. And he went, yeah. I said, I'd like to be considered for it. And he just looked at me and he just said, don't be silly, go and do the typing. And that knocked my confidence for three years. So, you know, the challenges, the barriers, the things that stop you from progressing at that time, but it doesn't stop or kill the passion. No. And that's what we're here within you as I well. I mean, I think the, the, when at the point I decided I wanted to leave and I'd secured the role, um, so I don't mind saying it probably sounds really strange to anybody who's much younger than me because I know certainly showing people pay slips from that time period it seems like they think we were working for pizza <laughs> but um I was on like 13,000 a year um as a personnel officer and I've gone to the BMA with a 6,000 pound pay rise and they mm. at that point were like oh well you're gonna have to pay the money back for the actual CIPD and I thought that's fine you know what you can have the money back because once I've got my education, as my grandmother always they can't said, take that away you have you. it, they can't take it away. Right. And so I said, you can have the money back if that's what you want to do. Because they thought if they threatened me with having to pay it back, that I would then decide to stay because they're assuming I wouldn't be able to afford to pay it back. Yeah. And now it kind of incenses me just the fact that they actually even had the cheek to assume that that's I wouldn't it. be able to, to afford to pay it back. But I actually left, I handed in my resignation, um, I wrote them a cheque and sent them the money back mm. and then started at the BMA, continued doing my CIPD and look where I am today. Exactly, good for yeah. you, good for you. You're a shining example yeah. of what people need to be thinking about doing Absolutely. for themselves, you know, don't be held to ransom. When Trinidad Solutions were commissioned to carry out the research into the experience of Black, Asian and ethnic minority HR and OD professionals in the NHS, it seemed to us that it was a very, very, very challenging time within the HR environment for Black, Asian and ethnic minority staff. What do you think working with Trinidad Solutions brought to the project? I think um, this all started 
as a result of me having some conversations with some of my fellow Black, Asian and minority ethnic colleagues and also having mentored a number of people at the time I'd been mentoring a couple of people but one of the, the individuals stood out in that they had really been exploited mm. um, in the workplace and the experience of that individual really made me feel like this is really unacceptable and to know that it was going on in our own HR community. That sparked a conversation with Rachel Tyler who has become a real ally in this mm. piece of work because actually mm. she was someone who listened, someone who un- who took the time to understand what we were trying to share and then having realised, having spoken with two of my other colleagues actually it wasn't an isolated issue and that there were examples of staff feeling like they weren't being treated with the dignity and respect that they Mm. deserved and didn't feel they had equality Mm. of opportunity and that some of the things that were happening within the system made it difficult for them to be able to speak out. As I've said before, I think it's one thing to belong to an ethnic minority, but then to, I think... To, to then work in HR as well, where you're actually working in a confidential service, it's quite difficult yeah. to be able to speak out if you're not having the best experience there. Yeah. So I mm. think Synergize Solutions brought an opportunity to conduct some independent research that was independent of us and to create a safe space for staff to be able to explain how they felt and mm. to do that in an environment that enabled them and empowered them to be able to speak up openly and honestly with real integrity Mm. about their experiences and also to feel comfortable to be able to share their experiences so that we can then use that to actually shape the work Mm. that is needed to make the step change in the actual staff experience for these ethnic minority HR and OD practitioners and I think if we do that for them we're going to raise the bar for everybody so everybody with any other protected characteristic it's going Mm. to be better for them too yeah so I think I think that that's the the key thing that Synergize Solutions brought to us apart from the opportunity to meet you lovely ladies um, (laughs) oh thank you (laughs) likewise along the way but I think it's it's the independence that you were able to bring mm. that has given us the springboard to be able to develop the work mm. into what is now known as hashtag inclusive HR. Yeah. Right. And, Brilliant. And being part of that work was pretty amazing for us both um, because I it, think... It really was. You know, the work that we do, we want to work with people who really want to make a difference. And we actually felt that when working with you guys, that you wanted to make a difference. And, and it really made us feel that we were in a good place and what we we delivered shines through even today people still want to talk about it so you know it's a good piece of work and Mm. it's a good showcase for us and your organization in terms of what can be done when you really want to do something yeah and the thing is it's it's all about collaborative working now because what the pandemic has done it's forced the things that were under the surface 
above the surface where people have realized that, you know, something, one hand can't clap. We need other people that are different to us, you know, and just following on from what you have shared with Diane and, and I with the question, that, that report that we actually produced for HPMA, it grew wings, as I said before. And what can you sort of like share with us about the successes and the visible changes and differences it's made in Black, Asian and ethnic minorities within their roles and their progression? Thanks for asking that. I think this is a real opportunity for us to really start to consolidate and talk about the positive effects. In essence, what's happened is we obviously have the independent report and from that, we produced the response to the report, which is available on www.hpma.org.uk. And that was read by all stakeholders across HR um, in London. And Rachel and I went and presented at various forums. And we held a conference, which Peter Cheese headed up mm. um, and set the tone for what we want to do in terms of our profession. So all of this was pre the pandemic. Following that, I think what we've really managed to achieve since then is greater awareness of the inequalities that exist within the profession. Mm. And we've really shone a light on the fact that we don't have diversity across the board. And we've been able to highlight exactly where the glass ceiling is, which is at a bad yeah. level within our profession. We need to take specific action to address that so part of some of the interventions that we've put in place include the we've established a a resource hub that is available on the HPMA Mm. website and that is a resource which sets out all the different courses that are available it has a framework and a tool for being able to have good career conversations and to be able to recognise the gaps in your experience and then starting to think about how you might want to plug some of those gaps so that you can have a more balanced Mm. conversation with your line manager. So that is a tool that we've um, attempted to roll out across the whole of the London HR community. It's also been picked up outside of there too. Mm. So... Mm. It's been really positively received. We've also got people to tell their career journey stories as well. Mm, So actually there are people from diverse backgrounds that have actually told their stories so that people can see examples of people that look like them that are in different Mm. positions Mm. of authority. So that's really important. And then the other things we've done is got senior leaders to actually make public pledges to their commitment to the equality and diversity agenda but how they're actually going to advance it within the HR profession Mm. itself coupled with that we've also got a monthly feature in the national HPMA newsletter where we actually have senior leaders who come forward to talk about their understanding of power privilege and race and how they intersect and how it's impacted their leadership style Mm. And them also starting to share their vulnerabilities. So that has been really well received because it's led to people being able to be open about what they do know, what they don't know, what they do understand and what they don't understand, Mm. um, what resonates with them and what doesn't. 
and starting to be really open. But also, I think it's really quite powerful in that ethnic minorities don't have any way of actually knowing whether or not they're welcome in an organisation. Yeah. And to have a senior leader actually speak out and tell you really openly and honestly what they believe around all of that also gives you a bit of an insight into whether or not those are the type of leaders you want to go and work for are they Mm. the type of teams Mm. you want to work for Mm. so absolutely that's been really positive I guess the other bits that we have done is we've written blogs um and we've also written some articles so I wrote an article in people management which went out in March yes we saw that Um, yeah so that was about saying that the HR profession needs to lead by example and Mm. we really should be the trailblazers for EDI Mm. we can't keep talking about it and saying what the organization needs to do corporately and actually we're not living it and embodying that ourselves so I'm really passionate about the fact that we've really got to to take those steps forward and the more recent blog that I've done with Dean Royals, mm. the president of the Healthcare People Management Association, talks about some of the key actions that HR departments need to take mm. um, yeah. in order to actually progress this agenda. Mm. So I think that together with the more recent action that we've taken, which is to launch an anti-racist HR an OD programme for HR leaders Mm. um, Mm. across London and the South East. And that's really looking at how we can make that step change, recognising that actually the strongest tool we have in the box is us as individuals. And we need Mm. to use ourselves as the instrument for change. Mm. And if we can see things through an anti-racist mindset and we can create a community of positive disruptors that start to challenge Mm. systems, processes and norms which disadvantage particular groups, Mm. then I think that we stand a much better chance of actually trying to be the organisations that we want to be moving forward for everyone absolutely absolutely all these things are fantastic but they need to be inclusive in a way that the lived experience is woven through as well so people that really understand what it feels like can explain it in bite-sized chunks for the audience that they're actually working with and that's exactly what has happened the the lived experience of Um, ethnic minority staff has been explored and it is woven through all the work that we have done and it's shaped Mm. all the work that we have done so whether that is from my own personal experience or the experiences of others um, but equally we need to also be thinking about it from the other side so some of our white leaders some of mm. them are fearful yep. um, of actually kind of being honest and open about what it is they do and don't understand yep. and actually trying to create that space now mm. where mm. they will actually step forward and say, actually, I don't really understand or I don't mm. t- tell me more, help me to understand yeah. or signpost mm. me where it is I can go. Mm. We weren't mm. in that space before and that wasn't a conversation that was being had before. Yep. So the lived experience is absolutely woven through and just the fact that we're sharing people's um, we're sharing leaders lived experiences mm. both in terms of people understanding career journeys of others and um, that they possibly may well be aspiring to be 
or to, yeah. or to get into similar um, subsections of, of HR. I think the things like the anti-racist leadership program absolutely will expose people and open their eyes to things mm. that they haven't seen before. Mm. I mean, we've also mm. got a white allies program that's running in London um, and we've got mm. a number of trusts that are all taking part with a mixture of professions that are actually doing that. So I think, you know, we're moving towards having a community of positive disruptors that will be able to mm. feel confident to actually challenge That's brilliant. Um, the current status quo. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all that you've said, said um, Daphne and I have been working with um, other clients, um, but on a smaller um, guys doing exactly what yeah. you're saying. So, it, uh, you know, mm. what you are, are demonstrating here is... Just That's better. reassuring, isn't it? It is, it is, it is. absolutely. <laughs> We're all working towards the same. Exactly. And, That's and, it. And if you think about it, that way it should be really we should, it shouldn't be little isolations of, of people doing things we should it's all one common goal and that is to make mm. sure yeah. that we have got a, an environment where everybody is comfortable everybody can strive everybody can develop and you know i think that we we should be doing this more often it's great to hear it from hqma i'd like to hear a lot more yeah. organizations saying what you're saying yeah, you know, like I said, we we yeah, we're dealing with some clients that are, are, are having it, having those conversations and doing those things, but we need a lot more. Well, I mean, the good thing is we've also had the the public sector conference team contacted me and asked me to actually speak to to them about all of this, mm-hmm. and um, unfortunately, I was unable to actually attend the public sector conference in July for personal reasons, but then. And they asked me if I'd write a blog Mm. and I did write a blog, which they were able to promote ahead of the conference. And in that, I've actually just made a public call for actually all HR across the whole of the public sector to join the hashtag inclusive HR social movement for change. Because actually, until HR becomes inclusive and representative and it's visible and people can see it Mm. actually we're not going to be able to move ahead because actually they are the catalyst for change they set the tone and they are the people that the organization look to for Mm. guidance support and a framework for doing things so actually if they're not challenging it then the wider organization are not going to be challenging any antiquated practices really absolutely absolutely Mm -hmm. Cheryl how has your experience and it's been vast and it's been interesting how has your experience helped you pay it forward to help others to progress like you have I think uh, one of the things that I have done continually throughout my career is I've always mentored people Mm -hmm. and I know what it's like to be line managed by leaders that don't pay attention, um, don't support, and where you don't really trust the line manager. So certainly whenever I'm managing teams, I always make sure that I take the time to listen to my team, mm. to give them yeah. the risk, you know, get to, to make sure there's an afforded level of respect and courteous type behaviour, mm. because ultimately I'd want to be seen as that compassionate leader, but also to develop genuine Mm. deep and meaningful relationships with my team and I've been fortunate Mm. enough to be able to do that so there's an awful lot of people that I've managed along the way supported nurtured developed encouraged all of those things 
I've been actively involved in. And some of those things can be from the smallest thing to someone actually calling mm. up and saying, Cheryl, can I just talk to you about something? Or I've got a situation, can I just speak to you about this? Right through to mm-hmm. someone who's like, oh, actually, I'm, I'm submitting an application. I just want to cross check a mm. few things. Could you just um, help me? Or it may well be actually, you know, Cheryl, would you be able to just mentor me? I just think I, mm. I need someone that I can... I'm in a new role and I just want to kind of Mm. have someone that I can speak to in confidence about the work that I'm doing and can you help so all of those things I've been doing those things all along I think the other thing that I also I think make a really conscious effort to do and that is where I'm able to bring other people in to particular projects because actually the single biggest thing we can do for anybody from a marginalized group is to actually give them an opportunity Mm. to actually work on a stretch assignment that gives them a whole new set of skills or exposes them to different things and I think one of the things that I know from my own experience is that I've actually been able to set up the deputy directors network in London and I can see what happens when you're trusted Mm. and able to fly by actually setting up and creating mm. things that are not mm. even necessarily part of the day job but actually they help it also helps yeah. with all the networking as well so you're mm. able to actually network and create connections and support people by actually giving them access to others so I'd say that I probably try and do as much as I can around <laughs> the whole paying it forward yeah you just got to be a bit careful not to overload yourself yeah. as well because also you've got to think about you it, it, it's obviously important to give up absolutely support, but you've got also think That's about thing. self to make sure that you're balanced and you don't go too too far yeah and there's always that balance in just saying no sometimes too mm. <laughs> sometimes I do absolutely well you'd be happy to hear that we're, we're coming to our final uh, question which is what advice would you give to anyone who's looking at a career in HR what advice would I give them um I would say to them that it's a really rewarding career if you like people you recognize the diversity of people you recognize that people behave differently within organizations and within organizational structures that there's a real opportunity to actually really understand organizational culture in working within the HR profession itself I think in terms of advice that I give to to someone wanting a career I think is persevere and to Make sure that you pick an organisation that you genuinely have an affinity to, because there's no doing HR in some sectors is very different from another sector. Mm, So within the NHS, there's a great opportunity for a career within HR because we have many subsections. Absolutely. So and we have sections that Mm. also don't exist in other industries because we employ the the most highly skilled workforce in the country. I think the thing that I think that they could have the opportunity to to move around, try different specialties, and also, I guess, there's the opportunity to, to learn and develop and to grow if you look for a career within the HR profession or particularly within the NHS itself. It's a great place to work and there's lots to learn, lots to do. Um, and most of all, there's the opportunity to really make an impact. Yeah, make a difference. That's absolutely wonderful. Thank oh, you so absolutely. much, Joel. That conversation was immense. 
May right. I say, really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Thank so you for much, having me. Cheryl. Oh, absolute yeah. pleasure. Because I think there'll be a lot of people listening to this conversation, and they will be nodding their head quite a lot, and also <laughs> taking inspiration from you. So you know, we really do appreciate your time, and I know your time is very valuable. So I appreciate that. So thank you again. Thank you for listening to the HR Lounge. We hope you find our podcast insightful. Join us next time for more thoughtful discussion. And remember, you have the power to make a difference.